Take a second and think back to the sex education you had in school. Did it prepare you to have a healthy and happy relationship with sex and identity? If it was anything like mine, it was stigmatizing, judgmental, and totally unhelpful. But not to worry. The experts are here to offer the sex ed we wish we had. Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. We're a feminist podcast and multimedia platform bringing you all the sex ed you never got through unique and entertaining storytelling, centering LGBTQ and BIPOC experts. We cover an array of sex education topics like abortion, period management, sex and disability, pleasure, reproductive justice, healthy relationships, BDSM, birth control, sex in the media, and so much more. We believe that everyone deserves comprehensive, inclusive, pleasure-centered, medically accurate sex education. Follow along with us as we revolutionize the way we talk about sex and tune into Sex Ed with DB wherever you get your podcasts. You know what I used to struggle with? Eating a diet that's nutrient-dense enough for me to get all of my dietary needs met through what I eat alone. I am no longer a passenger on that struggle bus because one tasty scoop of athletic greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in my diet, increase my energy and focus, aid with digestion, and supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills, because baby, I can't do it. And it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it just fits. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during these times, and they're offering my audience a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, if you visit my link today. So you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. <laughs> to redeem your offer, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash bewellsis. Again, to redeem your offer, of one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs, visit athleticgreens.com slash be well sis. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well Sis podcast. I am your host, Cassandra Dunbar. How has life been treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? Me, I am well. I am excited for today's conversation. This person that we are speaking to today is Rachel Cargill, and I have been such a, a, a fan um, for a long time. I came across her work back in 2020 and I have been following um, along ever since and she has just resonated with me. If you do not know who she is, she is an activist, an entrepreneur, a philanthropic innovator. She's the founder of the Loveland Group, which is a family of companies that includes Elizabeth's Book sh- Bookshop and Writing Center, a literary space that celebrates marginalized voices and the great unlearn an adult learning platform that centers the teaching of BIPOC thinkers. In 2018, she founded the Loveland Foundation offering free access to mental health care for black women and girls. She is a regular contributor to um, Cultured Magazine, Atmos, and The Cut, and her work has been featured in The Washington Post, The New York Times, and The New Yorker. The conversation that we have today centers her book, which is released today. The name of her book is 
a renaissance of our own, a memoir and manifesto on reimagining. This book is so incredibly timely. I have not made it through all of it yet because I've had to pause so many times and because it's so relatable to what I'm currently going through. It is such a good book for those of us who are on our journey and we're just like, this can't be it. And this, the way that I'm living life does not feel right. And I want to do something different. I'm telling you, this is the book for you. If you have learned anything about yourself or the world from this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Share with a friend, follow us on Instagram, all of the things. These are ways to help our show grow and help me to know that all of this work is not in vain. So without further ado, the voice you will be hearing will be mine along with Rachel Cargill's. Um, As always, thank you so, so much for being here. I am so, so glad you're here. Be well, sis. Be well, sis is very much an advocate for therapy, and I believe that you don't have to be in crisis in order to seek help and get support. Life is complicated. We all wear many hats, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. Starting therapy years ago has been pivotal in helping me be a better mother, daughter, and partner. It's truly been a game changer in how I view myself and the world around me. So Be Well, sis is proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy platform whose mission is to make professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anywhere and anytime. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BeWellSys. That's BetterHelp.com slash BeWellSys. I am super, super excited to be speaking with you today. Um, If I'm being really honest and transparent, when I first launched the podcast like three years ago, I made a list of like my guests, like my dream guests, and you are on that list. I'm like, look at you. So I'm so, I know I'm so happy. Thank you for manifesting me to your podcast. (laughs) Yes. So thank you so much um, for giving me your time this morning. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to get right into the book. You are known as an activist, as an academic. Um, I started following you some years ago, I think at the height of the pandemic, um, when white people were trying to like learn more about our experience. And you, I saw that you took on a role of like educating my question before we get into the book is that's emotionally draining. I, I from an outsider looking in, how did you take care of it and how do you take care of yourself um, after educating and sometimes having to relive some traumas? Her and her. Yeah, it it was a very taxing space to exist in. Um, but I do feel like it is my work in the same way that, you know, I couldn't fathom being a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and I, I can see where it would be taxing and exhausting. And it's certainly not anything I think I would have the capacity for. But there's people who who that is their work and it is where they hone their craft. And, you know, it's 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 where they feel uh, purposeful. And so at the time when I was doing that work in 2020, that was specifically pointed towards 
um, unpacking white feminism, towards educating and insisting that white people be critical about um, this intersection of their race and their womanhood. It felt uh, like my work. And so it didn't feel as taxing as most people. I And I can completely understand how those looking in could say that's absolutely not something that I could put my energy into. I suggest that they don't and send people to me in a way to, to, to continue to learn and to do this work that I feel so proud to be able to do. And um, it was it, it it was weathering to me. And my work looks very different now. I think anyone who has followed me over time could see the shape shift of how I'm doing this work. And it was very rooted um, in the height of 2020 to meet the need that we had, this urgency, this insistence, this fire, this rage that was coming out of our collective racial uprising um, around a lot of racial justice issues that seemed to be concentrated in that time. And I'm proud of the way I was able to show up then. And um, it was very clear the way my body was responding that I had to shift, I had to change, I had to transform into doing this work in another way for my own wellness and my own sustainability. You know, my friend Ebony Janice often says like, Rachel, you too are the black women you are fighting for. You are a black woman. You deserve that type of rest that you are insisting other black women have access to. And so I had to take that into consideration and um, alchemize my work to be something that also held space for me to be well. Mm -hmm. And um, so I am doing the same work in a different shape, in a different container. And I it, it may look different in five years and 10 years. It may shape shift into something that I might have the energy and rigor for. But right now I'm in kind of a soft space to be able to support what our uh, softness, our stillness, our grounding looks like for Black women, our joy and our healing. Because that's where I am personally as well. And I look forward to all of the ways is that I uh, reinvent myself within our collective efforts towards our liberation. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for what I've done before, too. And it's been a journey. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, one thing that really struck me when I was um, reading the book is the actual manifesto um, mm -hmm. spoke to me just the first few lines that I had just gotten out of therapy, a therapy session. I was telling my therapist, like, you know, I'm so focused on outcomes and I don't want to be like that anymore. It doesn't serve me. It maybe it did at, at one point, mm -hmm. but right now it's just puts this pressure. I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel good. And I want to be more curious. And one of the first things that you said was, I am who I say I am. And I shape my existence with curiosity and intention. And I love that so much. I got chills when I read it. And I still have some goosebumps now because it's just so timely. And I think when you're talking about um, just now, um, like the shift in your um, how you show up and how you do your work, um, I think it's because of your curiosity. So my question is for someone who may be going through the transition, what are some um, what advice would you give um, for them to to reimagine mm -hmm. what life could be like if that the new life that they're trying to reimagine is very different? from their upbringing and what they've been taught in the church, things that you speak okay. about in your book. Yeah, thank you. Well, one, I'm so proud of you for having your own moments of, you know, wanting to be curious. I think that's a true indicator of healing and moving towards a personal liberation and justice. So I'm so excited for you to start to embody that and for all of us to start to embody that and for the ways I'm moving towards embodying it um, in, in other spaces. So I'm, I'm really excited for you. I, you know, in my book, I think 
I, I, I talk about highest values. I think it's one of the most pointed, clear, kind ways we can show up for ourselves in having in taking the time to um, understand and hone what we know as our highest values. And what determining your highest values looks like is a lot of self-reflection, a lot of being introspective, a lot of figuring out who we are outside of the systems we've been placed in, a lot of understanding ourselves outside of who we've been handed, outside of what we've been handed um, as our own understanding. Um, and oftentimes those containers, those labels, those colors of ourselves come from spaces outside of us, like the church, like our parents' understanding of us, like what our industry means to us, the work that we do, like outcomes that we understand to be valuable. And so what we do when we discover our highest values is we not only offer ourselves a clarity um, about who we are, which gives us a little bit more sturdiness where we can say, I am who I say I am. I am who I decide I am. I am who I show who, you know, no one knows me better than I know me. And that takes a lot of work because, and it's sometimes scary because there's some comfort in just, just holding what other people give you and yes. going with this template. When things are known, things feel safer. But yes. as you said, these tools that used to keep us safe, they might not be tools that are meaning that are useful for us anymore. Mm -hmm. And so one of the tools that is biggest for me is this one of highest values. And when you discover your highest values, you are peeling away everything that isn't true to you. And it takes some consideration. You know, when you ask yourself, what is success? Oftentimes we'll just go with what we understand as success. Maybe success, you know, we think success is more, a bigger house, another car, a better city, um, more things. But if you really sit and think about it, maybe success for you is a small cabin up in the mountains somewhere. Maybe success for you is not having a ton of money to have to manage because you'd really just spend, you'd rather spend your time in the garden. Mm -hmm. You know, when you start to make these considerations, you no longer have to run away. Uh, you no longer have to run a race that has milestones that aren't even applicable to you. Mm -hmm. We are exhausting ourselves trying to attain things that we really don't care much about. And when you make a consideration of what you do care about, you can instead go and tend to that garden instead of running a race. And that is really what highest values offers us is this landscape to be curious about instead of this race we're simply trying to run for the sake of it and um you know in the book i usher us through discovering our highest values and i share how i found my own and it it gives us this calibration a place to come home to a place to remember ourselves mm -hmm. and um it also gives us you know these guardrails for moving through the world that aren't strict given to us but that are grown and offered to us through through ourselves and you know my highest values are ease abundance and opportunity i talk about them in my work in general i talk about them in my book and they change they may change over time but what ease abundance and opportunity offers me is that for example as a businesswoman when my team is going through my legal documents or when my team is figuring out what my schedule is they are going to prioritize ease we're not prioritizing how much money i'm going to make we're not prioritizing how flashy it's going to be we are prioritizing what my values are because i was able to tell them that and so now we all can move with intention we all can move with curiosity how can we make this more easeful how can we offer more abundance how can we make this pull out 
more opportunity instead of just doing what we feel quote unquote needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so I, one of the things that I have to insist is that we all figure out our highest values because it saves us time. It saves us money. It saves us energy. It saves us effort because, you know, my friends are not going to call me and say, hey, Rachel, let's take a last minute trip because last minute trips are useful for me. Right. So I don't have to stress about whether like, oh, my gosh, do I want to take this trip? Do I not? I know that that doesn't fit into my highest values. I know I'm not going to be my best self on a trip that has me feeling hectic so mm -hmm. I can make better, clearer decisions. And I don't have to tell my friends. I don't have to feel like I have to, you know, make up for it. I can be like, oh, no, no, that, that just doesn't align with my values. And they say, okay, I understand. And then we move on to the next point of the conversation. Yeah. I think highest values are a clarity and a kindness that could really change the way we engage with ourselves, each other, and the world. Oh, so beautifully said, my goodness. Um, you mentioned um, friends and how friendship is really important um, to you and how our society puts a lot of um, emphasis on romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've been like thinking about myself, like romantic relationships are great, but I think community is even more important. And I feel that um, society has placed such an emphasis on romantic relationships as a way to like divide us in a way. Mm -hmm. So how do you, um, how do you nourish your friendships and for somebody who may not have put that emphasis on friendships because of how our society is set up, mm -hmm. um, ideas on how to cultivate meaningful relationships outside of romance. Yeah, yeah, that's so true that we have been told that you know, these romantic spaces are where they're, where the most meaning is or where the most potency is. And I have just found that not to be true in, in many situations. And while there is a meaning and a potency in romance, we are so much more expansive than who we're laying next to at night. My day consists of more than who I, you know, am living with or feeling romantically connected to. But I also, aside from like the structure of it, I think there's an intimacy that friendship deserves. There is a romance that friendship deserves that we aren't given because it has been allotted to romance, to, you know, dating, to who we might marry and procreate with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there is so much space for curiosity and how we might be able to cultivate the things that we find value in in romance in friendship as well. A really good example for me is that I've been having sleepovers as an adult. We stop having sleepovers. We're only like, we can't spend the night away from our partner. We have to, you know, the only people you're sleeping in the bed with are people who you're about to, you know, have sex with. And that's but just not true. So I'm like, can we all just cuddle for a night and laugh and talk in a way that mm -hmm. feels safe and feels wholesome? Can I buy you flowers and romance my friends and take them on dates for things that I know they'll love and I know that will excite them? Can I buy you small gifts as an act of how I feel about you and how much I care about you? Can I love on the people you love as an act of service to you? There are all of these opportunities for us to shape shift our understanding of relationships, which I think really opens us to be better lovers to our actual romantic partners True. because we're not expecting them to meet every single need we have and it gives us an opportunity to be more nourished by other spaces mm -hmm. oh i love that you are just talking just to me right now <laughs> um i was actually just talking to my mom about this i was saying how i don't even know how we got on the conversation but i was saying how my husband's my best friend and he was before we got mm -hmm. romantically involved 
But now I feel like I don't like that in a way because there's just too much pressure, I feel like, for him to be like everything. And because I'm an only child and because I'm an introvert, I just, if you don't adopt me as a friend, I have a hard time making friends. But I'm like, you know, I want to prioritize friendships because the kids are going to be growing before we know it. And then what? I can't depend on one person. Um, So, yeah, you are. And I want to acknowledge for you that you're right. It was designed to separate us in a bit this this idea of a nuclear family is not something that's true for many indigenous communities for many um african communities for many asian communities this individualistic nuclear family concept was to to sell more houses if you all are split up into more groups you have to buy more houses you have to buy more cars you know we have to build more stores this is all very rooted in capitalism the more separate we are the more individual you know why 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 insist that people live in community if that means we sell less houses if that means we have less less households to to sell to and so yes it is part of a system that was designed to exist the way that it is making us feel it is true so it's not an illusion that the way that we are told joy comes is rooted in something that actually doesn't bring us joy exactly exactly and kind of as an aside so my husband's cousin who's also his like lifelong best friend moved down the street from us and we're like don't buy a lawnmower we have a lawnmower right and get it whenever you want and he's like but i should have my own lawnmower like for what like you use it one week we use it the next week right so let's just yeah. add a hundred dollars and he's like mm-hmm. that's not how it should be i'm like no 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 how it should be is that one <laughs> block should share a lawnmower yes <laughs> we're not mowing the lawn every day it's not a car yes right? so yes. yes more to your point <laughs> um and then i i know you don't have much time um i wanted to touch on just your um your you've had a series of transformations and my question is in the moment did you feel like this was a defining moment or was it hindsight that gave you that clarity you know what i love i've never been asked that question and i appreciate that because i do know in the moments yeah. i do i can feel it my body feels it my psyche knows it the storyline of myself in my head is aware of it and also a- another healing part and another tool that we can use to calibrate ourselves and also that i talk about in the book is the relationship we have with our younger selves and our older selves. I am in deep relationship with an older version of myself where I can take time to meditate on what she might need. I use the time in the morning when I'm lotioning my skin, knowing that she will be living in it. There is a relationship to a future version of me that I feel committed to and that I feel um, just a friendship with, in relationship with. And so when I'm having these major moments of my life, I'm always meditative with that version of myself. And I can often feel a affirmation that says, yes, this is what you think it is, and this is going to serve us in this way. And even sometimes now I have many conversations with a younger version of myself saying, you know, um, my mother passed away last November, and I'm having so many realizations about her, about my family, about myself. 
And whenever I have these realizations, I feel like I need to have a, a conversation in my head with my younger self saying, you know, like, I know you were gaslit in this way. I know you were cared for in this way. I know you were confused and scared in this way. And in speaking to and healing, being in conversation, reparenting that younger version of myself also heals me now, also speaks to who I'm becoming in the future. And so I think that I do know when those moments happen only because I am very in tune with the arc of my lifetime and being in conversation with ev with with multiple versions of me to allow a more integrated conversation, a more integrated thoughtfulness um, that insists that I be more intentional, more aware of what's happening at any point in time. And I, I, I feel like that's a tool and a gift to myself that I continue to cultivate. That's beautiful. I think you mentioned that in the, the beginning. And one thing that struck me Yes, my beliefs are rooted in my trust with my current self, younger self, and older self are all partners on my path to well-being. And I stopped there because I realized that I had been mad at my younger self for not knowing. <laughs> Have you ever experienced like kind of, yeah, like being a little bit upset with yourself for not knowing and maybe doing something different? <laughs> and if you have, how did you move through it? Ooh, I like that question. I don't think I've ever been mad at myself. I don't think I've had that experience, but I have many friends who have had it and we've we've talked we've talked through. I've 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 had the like honor of hearing them speak through things like, you know, sometimes we don't know it, but we're punishing our younger selves for things that we did. And so uh, for one friend, you know, she was talking about her relationship with her body and how she had she had been um kind of forced to have an abortion by someone in her in her life and she was she had really stopped taking care of her body and she was really punishing her body for what she did for what she for what she had to do in an unsafe situation and so i think that there is this ongoing relationship with our younger selves that we either punish ourselves for or we dissociate from. Um, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely relate to dissociating from parts of my younger self that I might not understand yet. Uh, for me, it's particularly around anger that I held as a child and what that means and how I completely ignored it. But I, I will say that you mentioned it in your own in your own healing and and intention of we have to say you know, what was this tool I was using then and honor it and say, you know, I'll say for me, it was anger. I was so angry. And that was the only tool that a younger version of me, like five-year-old us can only have so many thoughts about what to use. And sometimes the worst things are the easiest things. So we use them. And so we have to take time to be introspective and say, wait, what tools am I using that don't serve me anymore? This tool of anger that used to be the one thing that kept me safe actually isn't serving me now in relationship with my partners and relationship with lovers and relationship with friends and relationship with colleagues. So, okay, that's fine. Younger self, I'm so proud of you for using whatever you needed to use to help us survive. I have, it, but we're safe now. We're adults now. We're not under the fire of whatever it was that made us use that tool. So let's be curious about what other tools we could use. You know what? Actually, anger isn't the best thing. Now it's empathy. Now it's listening. Now it's boundaries. Now it's um, clarity and knowing my highest values. So now I will pick up those tools. And I will say, I catch myself all the time picking up tools that no longer serve me. Mm -hmm. I actually, just this weekend, I was in the airport and something drove me crazy 
and I and I started to feel an irritability that I've that has been a tool for me that I've been trying to let go of this feeling of being irritable. And it, it was kind of I, I imagine myself in a movie like it's like the irritability came and I look in my hand and I see this tool that I did not intentionally pick up, but I'm using it. I'm using it. And I have to actively look around, choose another tool, replace it and start using that one. And that and and, and it really is rooted in giving ourselves some grace yeah. and giving ourselves some tools, which yeah. is. And, and those two practices are self-reflection and empathy to, to give ourselves the grace and self-intention and introspection to figure out some new tools. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. I could talk to you all day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am super excited. Um, I'm going to drop the link of a renaissance of our own Um in the the description that way it's an easy click to go purchase the book um of course follow rachel if you aren't already thank you thank you so much for your time thank you for all of your work and all that you do i hope you know that you are loved and you are valued thank you for all that you do for us thank Thank you you. thank you so much thank you so much (laughs) thanks again for listening to this episode of the be well sis podcast for more information on anything discussed in this episode Please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.